God's word together. Beginning with Acts chapter 4 and 32. And now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of these things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving, giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds that was sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where the thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. He or she would look back at you and say, well, those things are connected. We can't disconnect your stress from your physical health. We can't disconnect your family history to your physical health. These things have an interconnection. And Jesus is saying, I don't want anybody to be fooled into thinking that somehow their finances are outside of what's happening with their faith. So as we approach Matthew chapter 6 now, I want to look at this part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount And I want to examine three things that we can sort of check ourselves against today. First of all, I want to see if we have any blind spots. I want to for you to examine your own investment strategy. And finally, if you don't have the right motive, I want to give you the right or the real motive for generosity. We need to see if we have any blind spots. I want to check your investment strategy, and then we'll just check our motives and make sure our motives for generosity are really the biblical motives that have been given to us. So let's first check the blind spots. When you look at Matthew chapter 6, you just notice verse 19 through 21. Those all seem to go together. And then it ends, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then if you went to verse 24, it seems to pick right back up. No one can serve two masters, either he will hate the one and love the other. So those seem to go together, but what Jesus inserted here were these two little verses, and you think, what, what, what is that? What's this whole thing about the eye and the lamp, and what's he doing here? And what Jesus is doing, like a good preacher, he's trying to insert an illustration into the midst of the meat of what he's trying to get you to see. So just in case you missed it, he's just putting this illustration in here or this parable about the eye being the lamp of the body. 
And so if your eye is healthy, your whole body's going to be healthy. And if your eye is bad, then your whole body's going to be full of darkness. And so I want to look at that just for a moment. All of us know that in order for your body to function correctly, you need something to tell it where to go. And the eye obviously serves as that function. I want to walk down the aisle. I want to walk out the door. And so my eye tells my body which way it should go. And in verse 22, Jesus uses this word, if your eye is healthy. And in the Greek, that means single. If you have singular vision, then you're going to have a a healthy body. But what's the problem if you have double vision? Well, then you don't know which door to choose from. You don't know which aisle to go down. And he's telling us that our our money and possessions can create a double vision. And he's saying you need to make sure you have a healthy vision or a singular vision. And then in verse 23, if your eyes are bad, if you have double vision, if if you're not well adjusted in this one area, then it affects every other area of your life. You see that? If you if if this one component of your life is out of focus, then the rest of your life is going to be affected by darkness. You're not going to see clearly in the other areas of your life if this one area is out of focus. And so it seems to have a disproportionate effect on the rest of our lives. And so with the parable, Jesus is telling us what kind of power money and possessions have over us. First, money and possessions have the capacity to divide our attention. When you read your financial statement, your 401k or your retirement, or if you look into your checkbook, does it give you the same sense of security as when you read the Bible? You see, that's how you're going to know what what kind of vision do I have? Am I double vision in some area of my life? And what seems most alarming here, and maybe one of the most sobering verses that Jesus has spoke, is that if you don't have light, if you don't have health in this one area, then you have darkness in every other area of your life. You couldn't say, well, I'm just doing so well in these other areas. But Paul, this just is this one area I'm struggling with. And if you said that was materialism or money or possessions or greed, then I would say you don't understand the kind of darkness you live in in all the other places of your life. Because if you're not healthy in this one area, somehow it creates darkness over every other part of your life. And so Jesus is trying to highlight this in this parable. And I want to highlight it by just numbering three ways that I think money has a blinding effect on us. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus says, watch out. He doesn't use that term that often. He's saying, watch out for all kinds of greed. And the reason he's saying, watch out, 
is because it's very likely you might be embracing the enemy without actually ever knowing it. You could walk right up and put your arms around it and think it's perfectly normal. And he's saying, no, no, watch out. And the problem with greed, the blind spot that you and I have with greed is that very few people actually come into my office and say, Paul, I've got this problem. Remember last week, I need an adjustment. And they might list a hundred things, but you know what's almost always last on the list? In fact, I can't say maybe more than one or two people have ever even mentioned this problem. Nobody comes in and says, I have a real problem with greed. I have a problem with my tongue. I have a problem with some of the things I've seen. I have a problem with lust. I have a problem with lying. I have a problem with my pride. But very few people come in and say, I'm really struggling with greed. And I think one of the reasons why is because we look at we only need one other person who seems more materialistic than us. To justify the fact that you're not greedy. <laughs> I mean, I got some problems, but greedy? You know, this sermon's for you know, that one over there. And so you just say, I'm just not really struggling with that problem. It's, this is a good sermon. It's helpful. I'm glad they came today. But really, it's not my problem. And so money and possessions has a blinding effect on you. You begin to think, I'm just not that materialistic because I compare myself to one other person who you think is more than you and therefore kind of lets you off the hook. And if you have thought that way, then you have a blind spot. You have a real blind spot to possibly your own materialism. Secondly, I think money and possessions blind you from remembering Whose the money is. We talked about this in Acts chapter 4. If just even in the beginning of this sermon you've asked this question. Or you've thought. Let me me say it this way. If any of you have thought this during the sermon. I know Paul. I mean you don't have to tell me. I really should be giving more of my money away. If you thought that, then you have a blind spot. Let me say it again. If you have thought, you're right. I know. I I feel convicted just listening to the title. I really should be giving more of my money away. Do you hear the blind spot? You think... It's your money. And you say it over and over and over again in your head. And you just don't hear it because you have a blind spot. And it can happen even if you're a great tither. You you understand the Old Testament. You really believe we still should, as New Testament Christians, be giving 10%. And you could be saying, Paul, I give 10% away. And you think the rest of the 90% is yours. And now you get to do what you want to do with your 90%. You have a blind spot. You don't really yet understand the kind of radical generosity Jesus is talking about. 
Now, the best illustration is one that I've used a couple of times before, but it's just so perfect because everybody here understands it. You take your son or daughter or just a child to the grocery store. And I'm sure this happened with Zachary or Morgan at some point, but it just happens a hundred times. And you go through the checkout counter, and what do they have just perfectly placed at the checkout counter? Right at the, it's not in an adult eye level, it's at a kid eye level. And they, they are strategic about it. All the candies right there. And you're looking at the checkout person, and what are they staring at? All the candies. And 100% of the time, what does your child say? Dad, can I have... And as a good parent, you mostly say, no, you know, we're not going to have that junk right. We're not going to fill up on junk. It'll ruin you. You have all the right lines. And then occasionally you say, okay. And most of the time you say, okay, because you really want a piece of candy. That's really why you say, okay. It doesn't have, you have no generosity towards your child at that moment. It's mostly self-focused. And so I say, yes, Zachary, you can get some M&Ms. He gets them, puts them on the counter. I pay for everything. I hand them the M&Ms. I'm walking out the door. And what do I say? Hey, can I have an M&M? And what does almost every child respond? It's mine. And I want to say, I just bought it. I paid for it. I gave it to you. And now you're holding on like, no, this is mine now. And it's so easy for us to have that ownership mentality. And then the, the poor child squeaks one colored M&M out, the one they don't like. And they give it to you very grudgingly. And I'm afraid that many of us have that idea. God has poured things into our lives. And instead of saying, yes, thank you, you know what, you can have it all back. I know you you gave it all to me. You hold on to it like the M&M bag and say, this is mine. And then if he says, could I have some of it back, you just grudgingly give sort of a minimum back that you think, well, that's that's probably good enough. If, if you've thought that way, then you have a blind spot. You You really don't yet understand the power that money and possessions have on your life. Money and possessions can blind you into poor thinking about God's blessings. Some people's lifestyles would reflect this belief. And you could see this on television pretty easily. God has prospered me in order for me to raise my standard of living rather than my standard of giving. Many people's lifestyle reflect this. God is giving me more and more. I make more this year than I ever thought I would ever make. And therefore, I'm raising my standard and what is that for you? Are, are you are you constantly raising your standard of living? Or have you stopped to think, you know what? He just may want me to stay at this standard of living. And he just may want to exponentially want me to increase my standard of giving. And so money and power has, a, has an effect that blinds us 
to even ourselves. And I want to ask you if you have any blind spots. Secondly, I want to just note the investment strategy. Jesus outlines it for us here. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. Thieves break in and steal, but do lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. First thing I want you to notice is just the first two words, do not. When, when you and I drop into the orbit where Jesus is at the center, some of the things that we've been doing are going to have to reverse course. That's the idea of repentance. You turn around. I, yes, I was going that way. I was at the center of my world, and now I'm turning around, and I'm going in a different way. And Jesus is saying, do not do what you've normally been doing, what you've normally been thinking about investments. I want you to turn around and invest in a different manner or a different way. And I think the old way, or at least many people's old mentality in terms of investment is this. I live, I save, and I give. I live, I save, and I give. I mean, I've got certain requirements. I've got a car and a home. I've got kids. I've got clothing issues and food issues and insurance issues and and I've got a whole scale of living. And when my running money runs to the end of that scale, then, because I've talked to a financial advisor and he's told me you need to save X for college or save X for your retirement, then I start saving. And if I get to the very end of that and there's some money left over, then I think, well, how much can I give? And that's the old mentality. That's the mentality that has you at the center of the universe. And if I could give you just one gift today, it would be to reverse course on that thinking. To, to have your mindset in, the first thing I want to think about is giving. And the second thing I want to think about is saving. And the last thing I want to think about is living. You, you do not want to go in the old way, and you do want to start thinking in a brand new way about your finances. And I think this example is found a thousand times in the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 26, you can read about it later, this idea of first fruits. Remember this Old Testament idea that you've planted things and now you're harvesting things. And there's a festival that you come and you bring the very first of your fruits to the Lord. I just want you to imagine a very agricultural society where people have been wintering all year, sort of living off what they've had last year. And now, finally, the crops are coming in and you just can't wait for that first corn or that first tomato or that first potato or whatever you're saying. Yeah, we've run out of those a long time ago and you're going to and you don't know. If a storm isn't going to come or a drought's not going to come, but you take your very first fruits and you give. And so you see that pattern in the Bible to give and then to save and then to live. Then you're supposed to lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Verse 20. And I think this might be surprising. God does expect us to actively be storing things up for ourselves. I mean, have you thought about that? Do. 
do not do this, but do start storing things up for yourselves, for you. Things you're going to enjoy. If I'm storing up money for a rating day fund or I'm storing up money for a retirement, I'm hoping I'm going to get to that point and I'm going to actually enjoy that. And he's saying, yeah, I want you to get to that point and I want you to enjoy some things. So these are the things I want you to store up for yourselves. Randy Alcorn states this about the verse. Look at Jesus's argument. Jesus doesn't say that earthly treasures are bad, but just that they don't last. So Jesus's investment advice is a logical one. If you're going to invest, invest in things that will be you be benefiting from not in just three years or 30 years, but 30 million years from now. I would love for you to go to your financial advisor and say, I'm sort of looking for the 30 million year investment. I mean, what's on the board for that? And just watch him go, I don't have any idea what you're talking about. But Jesus understands something. He wants you to invest in things that are going to last forever. And I want to just state the obvious here. Things that can be destroyed, things that can be stolen, are at the very bottom of your investment list. I'm not saying they're bad. Things that can be destroyed and things that can be stolen are at the very bottom of the list. What are the things that you could be investing in today that could be giving you benefit in 30 million years? The Word of God. Why? The Word of God lasts forever. You investing time and energy today into the Word of God will be a benefit to you in 30 million years. People. We read this in James chapter 1 a couple of weeks ago. The religion that God our Father accepts is pure as faultless as this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress. When you invest into the lives of people, those people are going to be around in 30 million years. And you're going to be benefiting from your investment in them right now. And so we need to ask ourselves, do I have any blind spots Is it possible that I'm really living in the darkness and I don't know it? And what's my investment strategy? Am I giving my resources away in radical, eye-popping proportions? And am I giving those things away to things that are going to last forever, that I'm going to be benefiting from in 30 million years? I want to just make one more note here before I move to the real motive, and that is if you're not used to giving your money away, the best time to start is the younger you are and the less money you have. Every old person just laughed because they understand the more you make, the harder it is to give away. Now, when you're 18 or 20, you think, well, I only make a 100 bucks. And 
Lord knows I'm poor and he probably's happy that I keep my ten dollars. But when I get make a thousand, I'm going to give him a hundred and ten because I, you know, I'll be fine. I can tell you when you make a thousand, you're not going to want to give a dollar away. And when you make ten thousand, you're not going to want to give 50 cents away. And the more you make, the harder it is to train yourself to begin to give money away to the Lord. And so even if you make a hundred dollars, which most of you do, even if you're a teenager, begin right now establishing a pattern of living, which is giving in your lifetime. Well, the final thing I want to look at today is the the real motive, because I think if we don't understand our real motive for generosity, then we're going to be missing the boat. And that begins, there's hints of it in verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus is telling us here, everyone has their heart set on something. Everyone here has their heart set on something or perhaps someone. And if you could identify it in your mind, whatever that thing or person might be, you would do anything for it. You would pay any price for that thing. You would sacrifice whatever was necessary for that thing. You might be willing to die for that thing. Whatever your heart really is set on, whatever it takes, you're going to get to that thing, even if it costs you your life. John 3.16 exposes the heart of God. For God so loved the world. What is God's heart? The world. He has a heart for the world. And therefore, he is going to give his greatest treasure to get what his heart wants. For God so loved the world that he gave. And he gave his greatest treasure to get what his heart wants. He gave his son. So why did Christ die for you? There's only one unreasonable and nearly impossible explanation why Christ died for you. God's heart is for you. He is looking at you and He is saying, I will do anything To get to you. I will pay any price to get to you. 
including the sacrifice of my own son. I will give anything. I will be generous in eye-popping proportions to get to the one thing that my heart really desires. Tim Keller says this, Every other treasure in the world makes you die to purchase it. Every other, every other treasure in the world makes you die to purchase it. But Jesus is the only treasure that died to purchase you. So when we see God, when we see the God of all creation dying to purchase us back. When you look at the cross and you see what God has done, when you understand that you are his heart's treasure and he will do anything it takes to get to you, when you understand that radical, divine generosity, then you will no longer look to other things for your significance or your security. You're only going to look at Christ. You're going to fall into a different orbit with your money and possessions. Because your money and possessions are not providing for you any kind of security. You understand all of your security is wrapped up into Christ. Now, if you're a seeker here, you're somebody who's just trying to figure out this whole Christian thing. In just a couple of minutes, we're going to take an offering. And here would be my chief concern for you. Because this would be something I, I would have done if I had been in your side and I've been there before. I would think, well, I should give more than I was planning on giving. I don't even know if they're going to take up money, but I'll give a ten instead of a five. Or, you know, that mind game you have in your head when the offering goes by. I really wouldn't encourage you to give any money at all. Especially if you thought that there was anything earning about the money that you gave. You see, because there's nothing you can do to earn it. I wouldn't want you to go home and look at your checkbook. I would want you to go home and fall in love with Jesus Christ. That's what I'd want you to do. Once you fall into a different orbit, then you can participate in an offering that's a gift and not something that you feel like you're owning. If you're a member here, Christian, and you're just used to this, I hope you are. I, thought, I hope it is something that, you, that you're very excited about. But if you're struggling, you think, oh, my gosh, I've got some terrible blind spots. Or maybe I've just got a very warped investment strategy. I think I do live and then save and then give. I would not want you to go home and look at your checkbook today. That would not be the first thing I would encourage you to do. I would encourage you to go home and look at the cross. You see, because this is the only Real motive for generosity. Otherwise, you're going to do it because you think the preacher wants you to do it. 
You're going to do it because there's some kind of building campaign. You're going to do it because it's the thing that you should do. You're going to do it because you feel better about yourself. The real motive is that Jesus Christ came down because His heart was set on you. And He said, I'll give any price. And now for those who trust in Christ, everything is yours. Riches that you cannot even imagine for all of eternity. And so you begin to think totally differently about your money and your possessions. Let's pray together. Lord, this is a very sticky area. Whenever you talked about money in the Bible, you certainly turned heads in how people thought about it. And you've turned our head here. We all struggle with blind spots. We all struggle with our investment strategy. And we live in a culture. We live in a time. We live in a city that enjoys a prosperity that people around this planet and for time past have never even considered a reality. We have such an abundance that we are most likely of all people to be blind to what you're talking about here. And so I'm praying, Lord, for the power of the cross to do its work, to, to help people see Jesus Christ has come for their salvation. And once that's known in Holy Spirit, I pray that you would make it known. Then generosity can flow out of a heart of gratefulness and joy. We pray that you would bless all the things that you give us so that we might lift up your name in greater portions. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.